you don't put a vision on top of a community. The community actually need to share with you what their dreams are. And I spent the first few years with the community to say, well, we don't control the growth and the growth is going to come whether you like it or not. We either join hands and help shape what that growth is going to look like or we let it just run over the top of us. Welcome to the Neon Grid podcast. I'm your host, Michael Rodriguez. As the state's inaugural 24-hour economy commissioner, I have a huge job ahead of me in revitalising Sydney's going-out economy. It's been through everything, lockout, bushfires, and now a pandemic. Suffice to say, it's a job that I can't do by myself. It's got to be done hand-in-hand with folks across New South Wales government, city councils all over the state, and working with industries as diverse as sport and comedy to hospitality and transport. The pandemic has taught us that quality information exchange between sector participants helps with decision-making in a rapidly changing world. And so in the coming months, I'll be interviewing the best and brightest from across this stakeholder set, people with different stories, varying perspectives, and with a range of expertise and experience. In amongst all this difference, I'm on the hunt for one unifying trademark, and that's optimism. You will find here a community of city builders with a supersized appetite for a reinvigorated Sydney and the wherewithal to making that happen. There's no better place to start than my first guest, Lindy Dietz. Lindy's the General Manager of Campbelltown City Council in Sydney Southwest, home to a diverse demographic on the traditional lands of the Dharawal people. And with rapid population growth and a new 24-hour airport for Sydney due to open on its doorstep in just five years' time, I'm keen to understand how the area will be transformed. What the opportunities for business might be, sure, but most importantly, how communities will shape the story of place during this time and in so doing provide colour and texture to Sydney's overall narrative as we go about our work together making this city the best in the world to live, work and play. Welcome, Lindy Dietz. You're the first guest on the Neon Grid podcast. Thank you very much, Michael. A privilege. And it's not your only first, I'm led to believe, but I'll come to that. I want to ask you about your vision for Campbelltown. But before that, and along with many other Sydney siders, last weekend, I found myself picnicking because it was allowed and in fine company, I should add. And this person just happened to be a mutual acquaintance of yours, someone you worked with. And I mentioned I was doing this interview and unsolicited, this is what she said. You were the most amazing leader ever, a next generation strategic thinker, someone who leads in a way that is very authentic and from the heart and someone who creates space for difference and adversity of new ways. Wow. Okay. Any idea who may have said that? Uh, Let me guess. Lisa Havilah? Oh, you nailed it. Yeah, you did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's an incredible person. It was an absolute privilege, I think. We learned a lot from each other in her time at Campbelltown. She was pretty amazing. And I have known Lisa for longer than I've known you, and I hold her in uh, high regard. And, you know, it was nice. It was just one of those nice moments to me coming on and having someone like Lisa say that she'd work with you and give you that kind of applause. But, and it, it gave me some context, actually, because the other thing she mentioned is that you may have begun your professional life at Campbelltown City Council. Is that correct, or is it not quite? No, not quite. I'm a registered nurse by training, actually. So my first uh, job was at the SAN in Warunga. Second job was at Camden Hospital. And, and from there into council? That's right. How do you go from nursing, I suppose you're caring for people and then you, live, you were living in the area or something like that and then you... So really it, it does sound strange to people but it's not strange at all for me. 
I'm a very idealistic person by nature. Probably picked that up a bit through our chat. And I moved from a private hospital in Warunga that was incredibly well resourced, probably a little bit spoilt, had a really fantastic philosophy of a holistic approach to nursing. So I went from being what we called back in the olden days, a charge sister on a 30-bed ward with six staff. And then when I moved to the Campbelltown local government area, I managed to secure a job at Camden Hospital and I became the charge sister there with one enrolled nurse on a 30-bed surgical medical ward. And man, I just said, if I can't do my job properly with high quality, I don't want to do it at all. My father said to me, Lindy, you'll absolutely regret it. Your mother and your sister have successful nursing careers. My brother is a doctor. And I just said, you know what, Dad? Life's too short to be unhappy with what you're doing every day. And I just need to go out and find something else. So my other passion in life was children and particularly people with disabilities. And so I jumped from there and I actually, my very first job at Campbelltown City Council was as a uh, registered nurse in the childcare centre setting. And I thought, you beauty, get away from the shift work, get to work Monday to Friday, predictable hours, how good is this? But government very quickly realised they couldn't afford registered nurses in childcare centres. So uh, it was only a maternity leave position. I then jumped across to Greenacre and helped set up a community childcare centre over there. And a position came back up in council working with children with additional needs across the whole LGA. So children from diverse cultural backgrounds, Aboriginal backgrounds and children with a disability and help to help them be included holistically in a childcare setting. By then I'd had my first child, so it was a part-time role at the time and I jumped back in and I also did a period of work while I was doing that with Marta Day, which is a disability school in the Camden LGA. Did a lot of work in their social setting and yeah, went from there and I've done multiple jobs, had the um, privilege of doing multiple jobs throughout the council. And I think that's probably where my passion for the community came from because I was working hands-on in the community, worked a lot with the Aboriginal community. And yeah, I just, I don't know, opportunities just kept coming up and I was silly enough to keep putting my hand up. So (laughs) here I am. You're giving me the tingles here and I, look, because I was, you know, I'm new to public service officially in a sense, like it's only six months for me. And just having you describe your background is really useful context to, I guess, understand it has been a, lo- a lifetime almost of service to an area of Sydney that I, I guess that has a diverse community. And there's a lot of geographical diversity you've covered there between Greenacre, Camden, Campbelltown, obviously. But it also has helped me contextualise what I wanted to talk to you about today a little bit, which is, and, and I think some 25 years later, potentially, I think from your first day at Campbelltown, you, you find us here and you've overseen the delivery of Reimagining Campbelltown. Is, it, is that the name of the document? Right? Yep, yep, that's it. There's a bit here I want to chat to you a little bit about because there's the reimagining Campbelltown piece, but then there's also the Western Sydney, Western... Parkland City? Yeah, Western Parkland City. Can you just explain the Western Parkland City? Where is it? What is it? And how do the areas of Campbelltown and other areas around form or connect to a future city? So, look, I had the privilege of getting involved with the Western Parkland City at its inception. So when Greater Sydney Commission was working out its uh, three-city model, we had the opportunity of joining a city deal with seven other local government areas, which was quite unheard of. Probably first very complex city deal arrangement in Australia. And so we started with this journey with state and federal government where the conversation was, okay, we are all on equal standing here. We all have the opportunity to learn from one another. 
We have a once in a lifetime opportunity of a an, a 24-hour airport being built in our region. Let's join hands and make the most of that opportunity for our communities and create a very special region that people can be proud of, but also one that we can shine the light on in terms of creation of jobs, economy and absolute pure recreation, which I don't think the rest of Sydney really truly understands what is out there in that Western Parkland city. So yeah, very privileged to have that opportunity and to work incredibly closely with the other seven local government areas and with state and federal government, which we're continuing today. So we've been, I think in the early days, we were meeting three, four times a week. The mayors would meet once a week of an evening. Um, so as you can tell, we've learned a lot from one another in terms of collaboration, appreciating each other's strengths and challenges, and being able to weave that into a really fantastic story of what a great region we have to celebrate and share with the rest of the world. How does the Western Parkland city sit with Penrith, Liverpool, Parramatta and Campbelltown? Is that a subset of it? Uh, no, it's not actually. So the, the oddball out there is Parramatta. So Parramatta is obviously the heart of the central city. So Penrith, Liverpool and Campbelltown are the three metropolitan city centres of the Western Parkland city. So the remaining LGAs form the region in full, but in terms of metropolitan city centre definition, it is Campbelltown, Liverpool and Penrith. Yeah, that's good to understand. And I think that what I'm teasing out here a little bit is just the potential of collaboration and thinking that's gone into how to essentially leverage existing assets as you're creating new assets and and then also regional LGAs to bring together in time. And I think 2036 is a number that keeps coming up in my research that should give rise to huge economic benefits, but also citizen benefits and also hopefully benefits for businesses looking to participate and grow into the region. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And I I neglected in mentioning that obviously the fourth major city centre that will be built is Bradfield. So that will be obviously the the heart and centre in terms of it will be home to the Western Sydney Airport. I had the privilege of coming out and spending some time with you when we were allowed to do that between the period where we weren't allowed to do it and now. But do you want to just talk a little bit specifically around the reimagining Campbelltown City Centre Master Plan? I'm thinking about all the thinking that you may have been able to take into that in what is an area that has like quite a lot of historical context, obviously. And then on top of it is now going to sort of see this period of mass transformation. And it'd be helpful to understand how Lindy Dietz looks at Campbelltown on a daily basis and thinks, how is what we have here today going to change and are we ready for change? Yeah. Okay. So look, it was a bit of an interesting journey. Um, and as you possibly already know, coming from a community services background is quite rare for a general manager slash CEO in local government land that, you know, it tends to be a planner or an accountant or an engineer or, you know, one of those industries. So I was actually the first woman to be a general manager in Campbelltown as well. So I think I've broken all the rules. I've done everything. And I was dearly fond of the previous general manager. And as you can imagine, I worked for a very long time. Actually, in the time I've worked at Campbelltown, I've worked under two absolutely fantastic, well-regarded general managers, sadly, both of whom have passed away. But I guess when I had the opportunity and I was successful in getting the role, I have a very big point of difference because for me, I didn't want to control the orchestra. I actually wanted to hear from the community exactly what they wanted. 
And to be very honest, when I opened the cupboard, the cupboard was fairly bare in terms of strategic visioning and direction. Well, certainly to my satisfaction anyway. So we spent the first, oh, I think 12 to 18 months working with community, industry and different parts of the sector and government to understand particularly what the vision was of the people because it doesn't matter what my vision is. You don't put a vision on top of a community. The community actually need to share with you what their dreams are. And I had come from a period of time at Campbelltown where growth was not well regarded and we are the southern gateway into Sydney. So we are very typically where country meets city. And people were really struggling with that concept of growth. They didn't want to grow. They didn't want to expand. They wanted to live in their big country town. So that was quite difficult. And I spent the first few years uh, of my role basically educating and talking uh, with the community to say, well, listen, as a local government authority, we don't control the growth. And the growth is going to come whether you like it or not. We either join hands and help shape what that growth is going to look like, or we let it just run over the top of us. And that's truly how I started the journey. And so we went out there and said, okay, if we face the reality that growth is coming, what is the absolute boundaries? What are the challenges? What are the opportunities? What do you want out of the growth that we can advocate for? So we came out with a a vision, the community's vision, and I'm really proud of that because I can say very genuinely to you, it is the community's vision. So we then platformed from there into developing our master plan, and it's not any ordinary master plan. (laughs) If you've got to put a community flavor to it, so it can't just be all this boring academic uh, planning material. It's got to be real and genuine. So we wanted to actually define what those opportunities were that were most meaningful um, for our community. And I'm really proud of a lot of the words that are used in terms of our pillars and, and the wording in there are, are actually our community's words. So things like they want no grey to be seen. And, and what that means to our community is that they really cherish the fact that we are a green city. We are, in fact, a fun point, Australia's first green city. And we're nestled in a valley between two rivers, so the Georges and the Nepean. We have the beautiful scenic hills to one side and we have the Darawal National Park. So they treasure that. They really treasure their their open space, their trees, their paths, their rivers. They celebrate it all. And so they didn't want to compromise that. So we know that in the urbanisation of Campbelltown, we need to keep the green environment components. Don't then neglect the fact that we are suffering that heat island effect that Western Sydney does suffer. So it makes sense anyway, but it's actually the true dream and vision of the city. So it was quite a lengthy body of work. We worked again through hands-on and it was in the time where you could meet face-to-face with the community. So we were doing workshops with the community, workshops with industry, workshops with government. Just to sort of add a little bit of fun into it, the Greater Sydney Commission were doing, and I don't know if you heard of them, but they were doing collaboration areas at that time. They started with Liverpool and Penrith, obviously, because there was great opportunity due to their closeness to the Western Sydney Airport. And basically a collaboration area is where a state government sits and helps facilitate all the opportunities of that metropolitan city centre by bringing all the state agencies to the table so that we can cross 
across silos of agencies, both in local government and state government, and actually all work together towards a common goal. So my poor staff, I think they thought I was just stark raving crazy because a Greater Sydney Commission said, okay, Campbelltown, it's your turn to do a collaboration area. And we were well on the way with reimagining Campbelltown. So we were really stretched with resources. But you know what? I really feel, Michael, at the end of the day, it was actually meant to be because what it actually did was they complemented one another. So that beauty of being able to work so closely with the state government agencies and help share with them what we were uncovering through our master planning journey has absolutely aligned the stars. And we know our time is now. So we're really excited about what we can do. I guess I'm keen to hopefully shed some light on the challenges of all in pulling together a master plan. And I guess I'm looking at it a little bit in the context of trying to work with councils specifically around their 24-hour economy strategies. And, you know, experience tends to teach that stakeholder alignment is pretty important as one key objective of delivering a 24-hour economy. Is it similar with developing the master plan for the city, for Campbelltown? Our master plan's a little bit different from your traditional master plan. It's probably more like a spatial business plan because what we have in it is a strategic context and vision. The really important part of our master plan is we've got a place framework. So our enduring commitment to six growth pillars, we have 25 commitments that capture the community's values and underpin every decision in the city centre. And then we have our delivery framework, which we have 10 city making moves that describe the outcomes for the city centre to be able to unlock its potential. And that obviously is living document because it will will be refreshed as every change hits us. I'm looking at some of the stats because, and these interest me in particular, it's population currently about 180,000, 25% of residents aged zero to 17. This is Campbelltown City specifically. 35% aged 25 to 49. And then you've also got like a significant population that's born overseas, 26%, and then maybe 30-odd percent that speak a language other than English at home. I've got that right, have I? Yeah, you have. The only thing you missed was our significant Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander community. So we have 5,971 at the last census count, and it's growing, and it's something we're incredibly proud of is our Aboriginal community. So that's probably the only thing that we missed. You mentioned the Aboriginal community as being, in comparative terms, significant. But is that relatively unique? Are there other LGAs that are similarly populated? No, look, we're one of the largest in New South Wales, actually. We're up there in the top five, I think, last time I looked. So I think that combined with the preservation of a lot of original land makes us, our Darawal land is very precious. So I do think it, it does add to our uniqueness. Yeah, like I am a bit excited and full disclosure, but I did go to school in Campbelltown, as you know, and and grew up in Liverpool. And so in my job looking around the city, if you think back to that metaphor for the 24-hour economy of the neon grid and how Sydney lights up at night, like I start looking at the world very much through the lens of what are the unique stories of place and people and how can they be enabled or how can that storytelling be liberated rather than prescribed, if that makes sense. I know the answer to this, but you've essentially got a plan in place that has been shaped by the community for the community. And ideally, as Campbelltown goes through its transformation, the community continues to engage and is able to tell their story through civic participation. Is that fair? 
I think that's really critical, yes. So that is what I'm saying. And it's it's incredibly uh, important that as the demographics change, and they will and they are, just the changes, for example, in our concentrated public housing estates as they are being redeveloped is changing our demographics straight away. Therefore, it is really critical that we get to know the new communities that are moving into Campbelltown and ensure that their visions are reflected in the broader strategic plan for the city. So I think that one thing that is really, that I'm incredibly proud of with our master plan is that it's evidence-based. I was very strong on the fact that it needed to sit upon evidence and data so that when we were talking to government or industry, they could feel very confident and sure that what we were saying was actually in real terms because, you know, I I don't want to get onto a political conversation, but I didn't want to depend on politics, clearly, to be able to take the city forward. The city needed to move forward on its own terms, on its own strengths. So everything that we've done is we've got that evidence base sitting underneath it. And part of that evidence base is that continual conversation with community, because if they're not part of it, they're not going to share the significant change that that is absolutely going to happen over time. It's almost the point of the podcast, potentially that one. And I, I say that because in contrast, and I am no planner, but I think what you've sort of suggested partly is that sometimes master plans might be done from either specifically a planning only perspective or I guess an urbanist perspective is that sort of and then I encounter this a little bit with my work as I think about the concept of top-down placemaking as opposed to bottoms up if that makes sense you know I recite to people the story of Northumberland Street in Liverpool how you can't suppress culture because there's a council car park at the end of Northumberland Street this is going back some years I think it might still be there and of course no one predicted like the arrival of the Fijian Indian community and that that car park would be turned into a festival site in time because you kind of can't well you can I suppose suppress culture to some degree but but culture will find a way of surfacing and so like what's key to the success of the 24-hour economy strategy and I think partly to the success of your uh, master plan is that community engagement and I guess being led by the community actually. Like I suppose it's probably the broadest way of putting that. I'm going to have this opportunity to ask this one. But like if, if you're someone listening from another council that has had a master plan or is working in a structure that has been driven pr- predominantly by, by place as opposed to community, any guidance? Look, um, I highly recommend the approach um, that we took. I'm, I'm I certainly will own it to say that it was scary at times. I mean, it's not, you have to be fairly brave and you have to be very open to what you're going to be told. But I'm a very big believer that part of consultation is actually sharing with people the facts and and evidence and what sits in front of them. Because, you know, as human beings, we make our minds up and our opinions on things, but they're not often not based on fact or, you know, so... I actually find it's a sharing. So when you share with somebody actually what the reality is, it actually helps shape their view, but it also, they then contribute in a much more valuable way because they're doing it from a context that is is more realistic. And I think that's the biggest part of community consultation is being prepared to start from a platform of saying, well, hey, these are the things that are the not negotiables, not because we don't want to play nicely. It's just that this is legislation or, you know, this is what we have control of or this is what we don't have control of. And when you base it from there, the conversation can be very open and honest, but you're actually educating each other 
on the way through. Now, I'm not saying that that was easy. There were times where it was really difficult. I do believe that it was worth the pain and it created a more cohesive outcome and just the relationship building, you know, just having our Aboriginal community there represented with some of our culturally diverse community. What I would observe is that you're better off having those conversations at the front end rather than something falling over at the back end because people weren't engaged or didn't agree. It's time spent up front versus time spent in other processes later, perhaps. Yeah. And I think that the heart of a city transformation for us, and this is why I think the placemaking was so important, is obviously amenity. You know, amenity is what's going to reimagine a place and make a place desirable for people to want to be. And I guess a person's experience of a city is key. And I think the thing that I guess motivates me and gets me really excited is when I have, you know, we're, we're really blessed. We have an amazing cultural arts centre in our city. We're very, very fortunate. And, but it's loved and owned by the community. It's not for the select few. It's absolutely loved by every, everybody in the community. And we'll often do international, beautiful, incredible contemporary exhibitions. So we often attract people from the inner city. And I remember uh, a very high senior bureaucrat pulling me aside at another meeting, but they sort of said to me, Lindy, I came out to have a look at your latest exhibition and I hadn't been to Campbelltown for 20 years and my goodness, it was just incredible. But when I came out from the exhibition, I had a flat tyre and I'm sort of crouching down on the ground trying to figure out what to do with my tyre and this person came up to me and I sort of looked at them in a panic to go, oh my God, what are they doing? And the person said, how can I help you? You look like you're stuck there. And he just said to me, he went on and told me the rest of the story, which I won't, I won't take up your time with, but basically he said, I just felt like I was in a country town and everybody wanted to help me. And I just said to him, yes, but that's the beauty of Campbelltown. It has never really grown up in that sense. The person's experience in the city makes a great difference to how you sell it and how you create it. And I don't ever want to lose that in Campbelltown because I think that's, that's a very precious component. But amenity is really critical for us because people look down on us, quite frankly. We're Campbelltown, okay? We've done a lot of work also on our brand and our image. We didn't make us anything that we weren't, though. Again, we took the community on the journey. I'll have to share with you uh, our brand story. I love it. It's amazing. But it's about being real but actually helping people respect and understand a place for, for what it is and how beautiful it can be rather than looking at it through negative lens, I guess. Yeah, and I, I think it's good to call out that particular elephant, if you don't mind me saying. Like, it is part of the landscape, isn't it? And I guess partly, if I'm being honest, what drew me to want to speak to you as, as I commence a little bit like this part of my role, because for me, I've not been asked only to look after, you know, the city of Sydney or the CBD of Sydney. This is a cultural and economic blueprint for for Greater Sydney and New South Wales beyond and bringing these stories to life across um, the metropolitan, which I know from personal experience, have a depth and a variety to them. And I look at very much as a, I don't want to say this, but like almost an open goal. Like, look at that. That's amazing. You know, why, why, can't, we, why can't we have more of that? You know, and I don't think I'm alone in that. And if I'm excited. And if I'm excited, then a lot of other people will be as well. And I think understanding the transformational aspect of the planning of not only Campbelltown City itself, but 
in the context of the Western Parkland City is so important for our stakeholders more broadly, and particularly in industry, to look at and say, well, what are the opportunities here? How can we be a participant in that story? It's why I like to come into the city and talk. If I have an opportunity to come and talk to people in the city, peak organisations, great industries that are trying to promote Sydney, and that would be my challenge to you with the, the neon grid is, yeah, just let's just celebrate. It doesn't have to be the same. Like, you know, one of the questions that you'd sent me in preparation was, um, you know, what what's the things that light up in my place? And I had to have a little giggle to myself because I don't have those. Our, ver- our definition of nighttime economy is quite different, you know, from probably what most people would expect. But the sort of places that I'd take you to is go to our beautiful George's River of an evening and see how many people just enjoy and celebrate the fact that they can see a platypus or a koala. I mean, that probably sounds a little bit corny, Michael, but that's our reality. I talk a lot about the Australian Botanic Gardens. We share that uh, with Camden. We don't talk about local government boundaries when it comes to the gardens because it's just a, it's a wonderful state government asset. The many people in in a city that don't even know it exists, let alone understand its beauty. And I, I kind of cheekily thought, I'm just going to say to Michael, well, Michael, help me with my cause of advocacy to help Denise just get that place lightened up because you could do awesome nighttime activity at the Botanical Gardens because it's just crazy. It's so wonderful. So I, I think that for me, that's the diversity of the beauty that is Sydney. I think it's great to advocate that it's okay that we're all different, but that's what makes us fun and exciting. And that is, in fact, the plan. And that's, you know, it's such a great story. And I was sort of hoping for something like that because that's the point of difference, isn't it? You know, that, that allows us to excite people from other parts of the city to come and visit and, and conversely tell stories for visitors to Sydney in time, whether entering through the Southern Gateway or one of the others. Hey, um, it's been great chatting and you've already done my last question. Oh, sorry. No, 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 no. this is a live show. This will not be edited. Um, but uh, let me uh, then finish the podcast with this question, which I intend to ask all guests, but who knows, this might change. COVID has thrown us a lot of challenges, but also opportunities to reimagine Sydney. What's one opportunity that excites you the most? What COVID has thrown us is that people genuinely don't take things for granted anymore. And for us, let me use my example of the Australian Botanic Gardens again. Um, I was really concerned about how they were faring because every time I'd go to the gardens, it would be full of what I perceived as international tourists, very diverse cultures, visiting, taking beautiful pictures and all the rest of it. And when COVID hit the first time, I have to tell you, their visitation increased by 30%. And that was by local community celebrating and enjoying something that was in their own backyard. And so I think what COVID has thrown Campbelltown is that opportunity to sell itself as that quality life, that place to come and you can hear the birds singing and you can you can have all of those peaceful things that if you're going to get in lockdown, what a beautiful place to be if you can walk around. Even if you're living in an apartment, we have so many parks and open spaces So for me, we will continue to celebrate that and use every opportunity. The other thing, if I can quickly add, is our high street. So prior to the second lockdown, we'd been fortunate enough to get a million dollars for our high street to do an experiment with the community and reduce parking and build little beautiful temporary parklets and 
this the community were loving it. We were having cultural festivals and the whole works, and then we got hit again with COVID. But I'm excited to get back onto that, Michael, because I think that that's what people really crave for is that celebration and high streets and and those opportunities to bring them to life where people can eat food together and children can engage in play and you know you can do all of those things so i think there's some blessings in covid and and they're probably my top 2 well Lily, it's been an awesome afternoon chatting and thanks for all the excitement the passion and and you know the contribution that you're making beyond you know your own backyard to I guess the wider discourse of idea sharing for what I hope is a growing number of people that are really committed. And I'm sure it is, you know, seeing Sydney leap forward off the back of what's been a a challenging year, but into a brighter future. I have nothing left to do but to say thank you for being the first guest on the Neon Grid. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. I never knock back an opportunity to talk about Campbelltown, as you can tell. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much for your time. I'm really grateful. Thanks for listening to the Neon Grid podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. To get involved with our efforts to reimagine Sydney's 24-hour economy, sign up to the Neon Grid newsletter. You'll find that on the Investment New South Wales website, which is at investment.nsw.gov.au. Or hit the link in the show notes. You can also follow me, your host, Michael Rodriguez, on LinkedIn. And as always, carpe noctum. Listener.